Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. The elevator music is rolling, and you know what that means. We are live. It is GC Live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and of course, not live on all your major podcast platforms Apple Podcasts, Google Play. We're on Spotify now, apparently. Um, it's a great thing about Spreaker, man, which is where we actually put our podcast. It just sends it everywhere. Yeah. So uh, appreciate everybody joining us live, obviously, as always. But also, I got to throw a shout out to the people who are watching after or listening after the fact on the podcast because those numbers are climbing as well. So no matter where you listen or watch, I still think watching on YouTube is the best experience. But um, being able to listen in your car on the podcast. Um, if you're watching and you can't join us live in the future, just um, go ahead, type that in Gamecock Central Podcast Network on any of your podcast platforms. It'll pop right up. Subscribe on there and um, love to uh, have you on there. What's up to a couple of folks already joining us there on YouTube? We give a shout out to RJ Lane and Carolina Titan. Yes, good morning. We are doing this a little bit earlier than usual. Um, I could blame Chris cause it was his idea, but actually I'm 100% on board because it means I can put the Braves on the background in about an hour. So 11 AM, it is Thursday as we're live and recording. And that means Chris, we are just over 48 hours. So about 49 hours until kickoff South Carolina versus Florida. So we're going to break down the game, of course, today, and special guests coming up in about 10 minutes. 
we'll have Zach Abelverde from GatorsTerritory.com. Zach, we practiced your name over and over before we came on the show. Zach will be on at about 11.15, so about 12 minutes from now, to sort of give us the Florida take on this contest. And the week's flying by. The game is almost here. And as always, the show brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com, 803-926-1493, home of the game day chair. And we'll tell you a little bit more about them later on. But first, Chris, what's up, man? Man, just rocking and rolling. Uh, I was just thinking when you're talking about 49 hours until the game, it's flown by. It really has. So uh, been, a, been a good week, you know, even uh, even though covering – you know, situation. I know the fan base disappointed with the week one loss, but um, still had a good time, you know, doing the show, covering everything for our subscribers over at GamecockCentral.com. Got some cool content on the site. Pretty pumped up. Eric Henry's column yesterday. Really, really good reviews on that. If you haven't checked it out, if you're not a member, it's got a special deal, 60% off an annual. This column got really good reviews. I think uh, it lived up to it, man. Only Kimry could have written a column like that with uh, all sorts of uh, philosophical and mythological references and some football stuff. So it's really good to get his thoughts. But I'm, I'm excited about this weekend, too. More football. You know, we, we all need more football in our lives, I think. And, and if nothing else, an interesting matchup this weekend for South Carolina. So ready to go and continue to crank out content and continue talking about it with, with you and our uh, – our listeners here and Zach. Yeah, so for those of you watching, I'm, I'm popping up all the shout-outs there on your screen, so look for your name. Alan Franklin actually came by and said what's up to us at Market on Main last week. Uh, Alan, it was good to meet you, man. And actually, I will be back at Market on Main tomorrow. Um, going to have Colin Taylor out there joining me before he's going to be at the baseball scrimmage later on that afternoon. But I will be out there with Colin from 1 to 2. So come on by. Everybody come say what's up. And I want to give a shout-out, man, real quick to Gamecock Russ, who um, is on here right now. And judging by the picture, I think this is the same guy from Twitter. 100% sure it is. But Russ, uh, give hey Russ, tell everybody your Twitter because Russ is a great Gamecock fan follow on Twitter. He has now given me two stats that I've just happened to just notice going through my Twitter feed that I've turned around and – sort of used with, with some stuff we've done. First, pointing out last week that Tennessee quarterbacks just do not throw interceptions against South Carolina. If you think about it, when, tell me when the last time, off the top of your head, Chris, a Tennessee quarterback threw an interception against South Carolina. Wow, okay. Um, well, point being, me, do it's I, been a long time. Yeah, point being, it's been a long time, and it continued this past week. And then the other one, pointing out just how good J.J. Inigbare was statistically the final few games of last year rolling into this year. And I think, you know, Chris, I think, man, J.J., sometimes you start to see those flashes and then all of a sudden a guy just like, like that becomes a household name. I think – dating back to, to what he did last year. Then what you see the beginning of this year, last week against Tennessee, I think we're actually seeing J.J. Inigbare sort of right before our eyes 
we're seeing like the very first moments of him becoming sort of a dominant force on this South Carolina defensive front. So I, I wrote in my Carolina Confidential this morning that I do think it was a mixed bag from this defensive line, but rewatching the game, I actually still think as this year progresses, man, I think this D-line is going to be a strength because I think Zach Pickens will play more. I think Zach Pickens, not to compare him to Ken Law, because even from a skill set standpoint, it's a little bit different. But I think Zach sort of takes on Javon Kinlaw's role as being the disruptor inside, the guy who blows up plays, the guy who helps everybody else make plays. Then I think I think J.J. is coming on strong. As the year goes on, Jordan Birch will get more and more comfortable. He'll play more. Man, Taka Hemingway, very quietly in his handful of snaps, played really well, I thought. Set the edge, played his assignment, chase plays from behind. You can see pretty quickly, pretty easily, why the staff was so high on Tonka. Alex Huntley obviously out with the ankle. Anytime a big guy has an ankle injury, I think it, it it sort of takes a little bit of time for them to get back depending on the severity. But you can tell how high the staff is on him as well. So to people worried about the pass rush, the defensive front, I come away from that game, Chris, sort of saying just hold on, have a little bit of patience, but I really think this defensive line is, by the end of the year, going to be a strength of this team. I, I think it's a good take to have. And um got to clean some things up, which when you look at it, it's correctable things. You know, I didn't look at that game and see South Carolina getting blown off the ball by Tennessee's offensive line, which, by the way, is a good group, you know, we think. And probably they're going to get better and they have Cade Mays back now. So it'll be a little bit skewed, I would imagine. But thought of as a good group, right? Probably one of the better ones in the SEC and certainly in the East. And did South Carolina have some less than stellar moments for sure, whether it's some individual battles, whether it was a couple drives, you know, you think of the tempo drive. But a lot of that was getting in the wrong place, misfitting a run here and there. Those are things that if you're a coaching staff, you looked at it and say, you look at it and say, hopefully that can get corrected. It's not looking at it and say the talent's just not there. Uh, we, we don't think that's the case. Uh, never has been the case. But you're right. Pickens is going to keep coming on. I think by the end of preseason camp, um, and you reported this several times, Wes, he's really you know, coming on strong. Tonka Hemingway really surprised, probably surprised the staff. They really thought he was going to be a good player during the recruiting process, but probably surprised everybody with how quickly he's adapted and come in. Um, ready to play, you know, being compared to DJ Wanham, who obviously made a substantial impact as a freshman. Tonka's already making an impact. He's passed some guys that were ahead of him, you know, who've been around a little bit longer than him. You know, you look at Birch, you look at Enigbari. Enigbari's got a chance to really, really be one of the better pass rushers in the league. And even though they didn't get the ball off Tennessee, they had an opportunity or two. They were close. They affected some throws, which is what you look at. And that, that stat about the Tennessee – thing I did not think of, but something I mentioned before the game is there's always a lot of talk regionally and nationally about Jared Garantano being so up and down at Tennessee, which is true, but he doesn't turn the ball over in terms of interceptions very often at all. 
his interception rate at Tennessee, I think, is the lowest in history. It's like 2%. So it'll be lower after the South Carolina game. So he, they do take care of the ball pretty well. Does he miss some throws? Sure, but he's, it's not at the expense of throwing picks normally. So um, certainly this is going to be a test for South Carolina defensively, and it's going to start up front. I mentioned it yesterday. When we look at matchups, we're thinking about, okay, Kyle Pitts and the receivers against Carolina's DBs. For me, it's going to start up front. If South Carolina's going to have defensive success in this game, they have got to push the pocket. They got to stop the run. They got to find a way to affect Kyle Trask, who's a guy who's really, you know, accurate and able to make those off rhythm plays. So that defensive line taking that next step forward, playing a really disciplined game, but also showing that disruptive ability that they've shown us in week one to some degree, I think is going to be very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I did a little just three key matchups thing for our newsletter, which if you want to sign up, by the way, uh, you can do that on GamecockCentral.com, free daily news bet, newsletter into your inbox uh, on your email. But, man, I, I think looking at the matchups, that, that certainly is one of the three keys that I, that I would go to in, in this game. And the other being obviously Pitts, who we've talked about. I'm going to, before tomorrow – I actually have it queued up, the South Carolina-Florida game last year. And Pitts, I think you look at that game last year, Pitts had already started to come on as being a true threat at the tight end position and just has taken it even to another level this year, I think. But point being, I'm going to look back and see exactly how South Carolina defended him because there's all, I kind of feel like there's only so many different, there's only so many things you can do against a tight end. I don't feel like you necessarily see teams, and I could be wrong, maybe if we have some some defense coordinators on here or high school coaches on here, it doesn't seem like you see teams bracket tight ends, you know, because I think that's probably hard because it leaves you so exposed on the outside, right? So that, that would be very interesting. Do you treat him like a tight end? Do you treat him almost like a wide receiver? Because that, that's what Muschamp says, like, man, this kid – a few years ago was a true X receiver and his, his sort of career trajectory reminds you of, if you want to compare it to somebody with South, South Carolina, it reminds you of Jared Cook who comes in, you know, maybe a bit raw, but an outstanding athlete and puts on weight, gets better and better. And now Jared, you know, has been in the NFL now for what, like a decade. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, he's been in the league forever now. So, I, that that's my comparison if you want to compare him to a South Carolina guy. But going back to Enigbare real quick, and we should have Zach on here very shortly from um, from the Gator side of things, but the PFF stats, which, again, I'm not always in tune with their actual grades, Chris, but some of their stat breakdowns you can get are really cool. And depending on – how you break down the actual snaps that are taken. J.J. Anigbare, if you break it down to guys that have actually played, I, I put it at like 20 pass rush snaps, they call it. So so PFF will let you go in and isolate to where these are just pass rush stats, right? So it's not including a run stop play, right? And if you look at... He is JJ Anigbare so far. He is he has a productive pass rush on I think it's like 
11 to 12 percent of his um of his pass rushes so far uh if i was reading that correctly but anyway it was top five in the sec among individuals who have had at least like 20 such snaps like the percentage is much higher like i mean jordan birch and taka hemingway are top 10 in the sec just on the raw percentage right but that also takes into account they've only had a handful of pass rush snaps. So you could get 50% if you got one, you know, productive pass rush on two of them. But Inigbari has already had, I think, 30-something pass rush snaps and was very, very productive according to their um, metrics. So, all right, let's go out. We got Zach joining us. Zach, hopefully you can hear us. And Zach, if if you don't mind, turn if you can turn on your video. If not, that's fine. Um, I'm because I'm seeing I'm seeing you down there. I'm not seeing any video, so we're gonna add him to the stream now. Zach Alberti, Zach, what's going on, man? I'm doing well. Hold on, I'm just trying to get this uh, this camera set up. I'm not. I got uh, you. There he is. Okay, I don't have a good setup, but no, nah, that's perfect, <laughs> man. Looks looks like some great weather down in Florida, yeah, and it's beautiful. Um. So, uh, man, we, we've been talking about this game. We've been talking about key matchups. I think for Florida, we have to start with Kyle Trask. And, man, my, my first question for you is, did did you guys see this coming? I mean, dating back to last year when Trask really started taking over and just being in full command of this offense, I know from, from outside looking in, Chris, I don't know about you, man. It, it seemed to me like I was like, man, this Trask guy will probably be a game manager. He'll just stay out of bad plays, and they'll sort of just try to get the ball to some playmakers. But Trask, with, with some of these other guys in the SEC leaving for the NFL, it's like th- this might be the, the best quarterback in the league now. Did, did you all see this coming, or did it come out of nowhere for the Florida media folks as well? Uh well, I actually, um, you know, I, I covered him in high school, so I, I was fortunate to actually go out there to Manville and meet his high school coach and kind of learn about his story. So I uh, I like to pride myself as one of the starters of the trash train. I think if the, the Florida fan base uh, would give me that credit. And, and not – I didn't think he was going to do this. I just thought that he, you know, coming to Florida, I think – I don't know if Rivals had him as a two-star, but I know one of the services had him as a two-star – Uh, I just knew that he was better than his rating. He was in a unique situation because he was behind De'Ara King, who I think now everybody recognizes nationally how good he is. But at the time, you didn't know unless you really covered him or looked into his recruitment. I mean, this guy was a track star in Texas um, on top of everything they did on the football field. So it was understandable why uh, Kirk Martin decided to start him over Kyle Trask because he had this, uh, you know, spread option offense and, and they did a lot of, uh, stuff with running the quarterback. So I just always felt like if Kyle got the opportunity that he'd have a shot, that he was better than what his rating was. I didn't expect him to almost throw for 3000 yards. Um, I didn't expect him to come in and, and, and necessarily make Florida's offense even better than it was with Felipe Franks. Um, and, and more importantly, I think just, just be able to keep Florida to have another double digit win season. I mean, most times when you lose, your starting quarterback that derails your season and for Florida it just made them have an even better year and now they're set up for great success now that he has a year under his belt 
Zach, so here's here's one thing I wanted to touch on you with. And by the way, I don't know if you saw, I can't properly credit, but you've probably seen and haven't talked to his high school coach, uh, Kirk Martin, like you said. Did you see the other day Kirk Martin talking about how, you know, they were going to make a 30 for 30 one day on Trask? And that, he was, that was my he, quote. That was your quote. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, I'm glad we've got you on. I wasn't sure. So, Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, he's like, I'm going to be the, I think he said the dumb butt. He used actual butt. He used that word. Yeah, <laughs> he said, I'll, he said, I'll be the dumb butt that benched Michael Jordan. Or right, that, didn't start, right. that didn't start, or that cut Michael Jordan. I don't know what the exact word was. Um, but, yeah, he, he, he knew then that it was such a unique situation because, um, you know, most guys that are backups in high school don't get any looks and, and don't get recruited. So, for Trash to end up at Florida literally being basically a career backup in high school. I mean, some of his his huddle tape was actually him in practice with a practice jersey on. Like that's um that's that's what Florida was working with here. I will say, um, he didn't just have mop up duty. Uh and the reason why he never transferred um and why he stayed at Manville is because Kirk kind of always promised him that he would get in the game kind of similar to what Florida does with Emory Jones um, to where it wouldn't just be mop-up duty. wouldn't just be when Manville had a huge lead, but that he would actually get meaningful snaps with the first teamers that he could put on tape and be able to show to colleges. So that did happen. Um, and if you look at the little bit of film that he has from on his huddle tape, you can still go watch it now. It's really good. Right. Um, you could see why he's doing what he's doing now, but again, it was just hard to take him seriously because he was a backup. Um, but, you know, Kirk knew, obviously, that that quote that I have in my story, um, you know, he, he definitely had a crystal ball there. So here's what I want to go to on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and, and certainly we can talk about Trask and, and Kyle Pitts we want to get to, obviously. But that offensive line for Florida was a group that I think they've got a lot of upperclassmen on the group. But one thing we were talking about before you, right before you came on is South Carolina's defensive line. Expected to be a pretty good group this year. Turned in a, a pretty solid, if inconsistent, but good performance overall against Tennessee. Is is that still a question mark? Does Florida feel better about it after the Ole Miss game? Obviously, they put up a ton of yardage. What's sort of the feel on the offensive line and maybe the matchup against South Carolina up front? Yeah, obviously, that's going to be concerning. I think that they, the players and coaches mentioned this week that South Carolina has some studs up front defensively that they're going to have to contend with. And Definitely going to be much more of a challenge than what they saw against Ole Miss, not just up front, but also in the secondary as well. I mean, uh, Ole Miss had, I think it was the worst pass defense uh, in the SEC last year. So coming into this year, Florida, I think, knew that they could pick them apart in the passing game. I don't know if Trask is going to have as much time as he had last Saturday. I think that Florida is going to have to put in some protection packages uh, to deal with some of South Carolina's pass rushers. And, and honestly, I mean, they dealt with this in the game last year. Uh, I would say probably the game against the Gamecocks was, I think, probably the defense that defended Kyle Trask the best and held, and held that offense in check and really kept Kyle Pitts from going off like he did in some of the other games. So um, losing Ethan White in fall camp, that was kind of a setback for the offensive line because even if he didn't start at center, he would have started at guard. Uh, so they've, they've kind of had to uh, readjust some things and Brett Heggie obviously did a really good job last week. I mean, he won SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. But this will definitely be, uh, I think, a, a more realistic test of, of what you know Florida's ability is. Let's stay right there with Kyle Pitts. I mean, uh, got to just be a matchup nightmare, I would think, for every defensive coordinator 
that faces Florida. Um, I, I sort of compared him here to, to Jared Cook, who was a successful tight end for Carolina that actually has been in the league now for, for 10 plus years and sort of grew from like a wide receiver into a tight end. But how have you seen getting to see Pitts just week in, week out? Um, we see the big flash plays on, you know, highlights and stuff. But how have you seen Pitts grow so far in his time at Florida? And I, I got to assume I mean, he, he's going to be a first-round pick, right? Like This has got to be probably the best tight end prospect in the country, or at least in that conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing how he's kind of, you know, blossomed at that tight end spot because this is a guy that played wide receiver his his freshman year. I mean, honestly, he came in as a tight end and he repped at that spot. But uh, it was said this week by Brian Johnson, Florida's offensive coordinator, that he was actually the backup to Van Jefferson uh, just because of the playing opportunity. And he still you know, hadn't really uh, bulked up and, and kind of developed physically to where he could do all the things that they asked of the tight end position. So um, last year you had a lot of people calling him a receiver playing tight end. And I think in a lot of ways he was. He really made an effort this offseason to become more of a blocker, uh, to put on more weight. Uh, and just become an every down, three down tight end to where he can handle some of those responsibilities in, in the run game, but also line up and have his hand in the dirt uh, and not always be flexed out. And I think we saw that against Ole Miss. Uh, and the one thing with him and, and Kyle Trask, and that's been such a, you know, I think a trending topic this week, uh, and even some last season, the Kyle to Kyle connection. That was able to be maintained throughout this whole COVID offseason because even though they couldn't practice, even though they had, uh, you know, their workouts limited, those guys could still get out there with the receivers as well, um, you know, and, and practice and, and go through those drills and stuff. So I think that they maintained their chemistry. Uh, they spent a lot of time together in the offseason as, as well as film prep. So the connection that those two guys have, I mean, I mean, some of those throws that Trask made, I mean, he's literally just throwing it up there and trusting that Pitts is going to make. Uh, win that jump ball and come down with the catch. Uh, and he did it on that last touchdown, muscling it away from that old Miss defender. So uh, you're right. I mean, he's definitely a projected first-round pick. I'm interested to see what type of numbers he can put up this year. But more importantly, you know, what defenses now we're going to do to try and take him away because he's clearly the go-to target. And I'm sure Muschamp uh, and Travaris Robinson and those guys are, are coming up with some schemes to try and take him away on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. You know, think about the last week uh, – Carolina and Tennessee, they were featured. South Carolina was on, on SEC inside. And, you know, in some of the meeting rooms, Muschamp and Travis Robinson were, were shown sort of talking about how Tennessee, you know, basically they weren't even concerned about them uh, as far as the tight end threat. Thought they had one tight end that could run. They finished that game. Tennessee had one catch at the tight end position for 11 yards. So not a huge threat. That'll be a lot different this week. So something for the staff to deal with. Moving over to defense. For the Gators, obviously, 1,200 yards of offense in that game last week, roughly. I think each team had 600 yards. Lane Kiffin brought the kitchen sink offense out there and played two quarterbacks, did all sorts of stuff. Both teams sort of went up and down the field. For Florida, concern, um, aberration, really good offense for Ole Miss. Sort of, what, what is that being chalked up to, and you know, what's sort of the path forward for Florida? Yeah, it was alarming, uh, to say the least. You know, that's the worst uh, passing performance, defensive performance that the Gators have had since that 2014 game against Alabama, where, um, ironically, Kiffin was the coordinator of that Crimson Tide team. So he's really dialed it up against the Gators the last two times that uh, he's gone against them. And 
I think that Matt Corral, you know, I will say, I mean, he might be one of the best quarterbacks that Florida faces this season on their schedule. Um, and, you know, he really gave them a lot of fits. I don't think that they expected him to maybe be as elusive as he was. And I think that the offseason of not tackling, missing spring ball, um, that really hurt Florida because he was able to kind of escape. And, and, and I think he gained 81 yards on his scrambles. Um, he only finished, I think, with 50-something because of the sacks. But so th- there was a lot of uh, issues that Florida had there, just kind of trying to keep a spy on him but also obviously defend him in the passing game. And having Sean Davis get ejected on the opening series, that's obviously tough. Um, To have Brad Stewart, one of their senior defensive backs, who's made some big plays in the secondary for them the past two seasons, not available uh, in week one or or for the first game, that obviously hurt Ford as well. And it's interesting, you know, for the first two years under Todd Grantham, the Gators had not given up a 300-yard passer in the first 25 games, and that was including Joe Burrow. Then in the last two games, they've given up a 300-yard passer. And in the bowl game, they also didn't have C.J. Henderson, who's now a rookie with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He sat out that game. So the first two games that they've had to play without him, they've given up 300 yards. So that's definitely a concern. Mullen said after the game that they have to get better. I think that if they can get, obviously, Sean Davis back and maybe potentially Brad Stewart, that could help shore up some things in the secondary. Again, we're talking to Zach Albaverde here, uh, GatorTerritory.com. And, Zach, let, let's stay with Grantham for a second. I know our perspective, and I remember, you know, Spurrier versus Grantham back when Spurrier was here and Grantham was at Georgia. And uh, then seeing him, I guess he would have been at Mississippi State when South Carolina played um, out there, Muschamp's first year. My outside-looking-in perspective of Grantham is that he calls defensive plays the way I did in P- on PS3 back in the day, which is like, if all else fails, um, send the house. Like, blitz, let's man up, let's send some pressure. And obviously that's oversimplification because I would just send the, the like double A-gap blitz every time and man up on the outside. And I'm sure he's a little more um, – there's a little more depth to it than that, a little more thought out. But seeing seeing this defense every week is his reputation as a very blitz-happy defensive coordinator is that well deserved or is that a little bit of a uh, misconception with him no fast physical and aggressive you know that's their <laughs> motto that's how they play that's that's what he uh, likes to call and um i think that that's that's the staple of his scheme uh, i think that that's always what you're going to see from todd grantham on saturdays and especially now when he's three years in he's been able to recruit to his system and i you know i think get guys that really fit what he wants to do uh, they have a lot of flexibility within this defense on all three levels. They got guys on the defensive line, at linebacker, and in the secondary that line up at multiple spots. Uh, so that's kind of a trade trademark of his defense as well. But in terms of the blitzes and and, and kind of bringing pressure from all over, uh, that's that's really what he does. And we saw it, I think, that first season against Mississippi State when they got that win in Starkville and he sent Donovan Siner on that blitz to, to really win the game. That's when I think Florida fans really saw what this guy was about. And uh, there are times, obviously, when that can come back to bite you. And if you got a quarterback that knows where to go with the football, um, that, that understands blitzes and, and how to react and, and where to go with his reads, that can be problematic. And we've seen some veteran quarterbacks uh, make Florida pay when they bring the house. And I think that you have to probably say that Colin Hill's going to have that ability on Saturday just based on – his experience uh, in Mike Bobo's system, and even though he's brand new to South Carolina, um, 
you know, if, if Florida's not doesn't come correct, uh, he will make them pay. I think he's capable at least. So they really got to do some, uh, you know, a good job of maybe disguising some things, not being predictable, but making sure that they're, uh, you know, taking care of the coverage on the back end as well. Zach, something that we uh, that Will Muschamp talked a lot about, you know, uh, going into the Tennessee game with special teams, how he had watched a lot of football before the SEC got started back, and there were some some issues there um, on special teams across the country, some sloppy play. South Carolina was the unfortunate beneficiary of a of an in game situation where they had a special teams play go awry too. Tell us a little bit about the Gators and on that in that phase of the game, that side of the ball, you know, as far as the kicking game coverage return. Anything that you really picked up there from from week one that could project to this game? Just that Evan McPherson's still really good. Um Obviously, he set a new career long, hitting a 55-yarder. He hit two more field goals as well. And he's the lone uh, starter that they have returning on special teams. They lost their punter. They lost their holder. They lost their long snapper. They lost their uh, return man and Freddie Swain, who's now with the Seattle Seahawks. So a, a lot of new faces there. Obviously, you got Kadarius Toney as the guy that's uh, you know, you know, designated to return kicks and punts now. So he's a familiar face. But you know, they had a walk-on senior punter beat out uh, you know, the Australian Jeremy Crawshaw that they brought in on scholarship as a freshman. So uh, I think for him to win that job, not only as the punter, but I think he's the holder uh, too. So there's, you know, some newness there. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that Florida always does a really good job with special teams. Greg Knox is special teams coordinator. He's been with Mullen since he was at Mississippi State and he started there. So, the, you know, the expectation kind of what they want to do uh, is really they usually always bring their gay, a game. I, I think that uh, with the punting situation, if South Carolina can get some stops on Florida, which Ole Miss obviously was not able to do, we'll see what Jacob Finn can do. I think he only had one punt on Saturday. So if he gets more opportunities, you know, is he able to flip the field? Does he not do a good job and maybe set South Carolina up with some good field position? So that might be something to watch. I don't. I don't think that Kadarius Tony. Um, is maybe as dangerous as Freddie Swain was uh, on punt return. So um, we'll see what he does if he gets an opportunity on Saturday. Yeah, some some interesting matchups there when you consider, you know, Carolina with Parker White as their place kicker as well, a kid that's really just come on as his career has progressed. But then the other side of that, Carolina has a freshman punter that Muschamp has been very open about saying, hey, we, we need a little bit more out of him compared to, to what they saw this past week. So field position, maybe for both sides, we'll, we'll see what they get out of their their new punter. Um, so, man, I, I think just listening to these coaches talk, Zach, you can tell that certainly with Muschamp talking about Mullen as a play caller and an offensive guru, a ton of respect from Muschamp's side and the fact that I think the – the beautiful thing about Mullen is that he's sort of always adjusting and he's going to build his offense around his strengths, I think. And Muschamp even talked about, you know, this is an offense coordinator that if you don't stop what he's doing, he's not going to get away from it until you stop it. And I, I thought I was really curious looking back at Florida's offense over the last few years. I think if you go back maybe two seasons ago, the run and pass numbers as far as like average yards per game were like almost identical for the entire season, which is pretty insane. Then you looked last year, I think, way skewed towards the pass, and it was like, this is what we do well, so this is what we're going to do. How have you seen maybe the offense? It's one game in. I, I know we're all reading into things, 
suspect Ole Miss defense. But how have you seen the offense evolve from an approach this year? And what's the feel on the running game in Gainesville? Is that something that as the year goes on, you think they'll be able to maybe introduce a little more balance just compared to last year? Yeah, that, that's something Florida fans have harped on, but Mullen and Brian Johnson have uh, kind of pushed back. You know, they don't really buy into the whole balance mm-hmm. necessarily. It's more – I mean, they they like, hey, we're going to do what works. We're going to do what put points up on the board and what wins. So if that means that we throw it 50 times a game, uh, that's what we're going to do to have success. And I, I know that's obviously not what fans want to hear. That's not what the running backs want to hear. I think, though, with Florida – you will see a little bit more balance this year. Um, one of the reasons is because I think that they've upgraded their offensive line by getting Stuart Reese, the grad transfer from Mississippi State, who played for John Hebesey and, and Dan Mullen. I think that he's going to be able to come in and, and really provide some stability there. Uh, you know, they also just have a lot of experience now. They got 99 starts that they returned uh, on the offensive line with Reese added. So, you know, there was a lot of newness to that group in 2019. They they had to replace three starters. So now they basically bring everybody back and they add Stuart Reese, who, like Stone Forsythe said, I mean, he's basically like a returner for us because he knows Mullen's system so well. So that's going to be the biggest thing that I think helps get the ground game going. You have some new guys in the backfield, uh, you know, with, with LaMichael P. Ryan gone to the New York Jets. Uh, two guys that are familiar uh, with Florida's offense in, in Malik Davis and Damian Pierce, and that's kind of the one-two punch that Dan Mullen is going to rely on to try and get some better uh, ground game production. Florida really took a step back last year. I think some of that can be attributed to the young offensive line that they had. Uh, you know, LaMichael P. Ryan had to kind of be more of a dual threat back and transition into making plays uh, out of the backfield, which he did. I mean, he had five touchdown uh, receptions last year. And I forget what his what his catch total was, but he was really a factor, and that's something that Florida is going to have to still, you know, fill for it. I think Malik Davis is probably the guy to do that. He's got a little bit more shiftiness in the open field than uh, Damian Pierce does, but you know, that's that's going to be key to me. Is is can they provide Trask a little bit more production to where he doesn't feel like he's having to shoulder all that? Uh, I know that he is feel feels capable, and they got the receivers and, and obviously the tight end to still put up a lot of numbers in the passing game. But it's something that John Hevesy, even though Mullen and, like I said, Mullen and Brian Johnson have brushed off the whole balance conversation. Uh, John Hevesy, the offensive line coach and, and uh, run game coordinator, he did admit that he's taken some pride in that and he wants to see them run the ball better. So I do think they're going to make an effort for that. Zach, one more thing I've got for you, man, uh, before we before we let you run here in a few minutes. Uh you know, what, what's South Carolina's formula here? You know, if they're to score an upset, based on what you know about this team, obviously one game this season, everybody's still learning, you know, about the team they cover. These coaches, these players are still learning about their own teams. If South Carolina can go down there and score an upset, they're 17 and a half, 18 point underdog there in Gainesville. What is the, what are the areas that they're going to have to exploit and what needs to happen, you think, for, for the Gators to drop this one for South Carolina to win? Yeah, obviously, I think you're going to have to try and find a way to take Kyle Pitts out of the game. As I mentioned, you know, Will Muschamp and that defense with Travis Robinson did a pretty good job of that last year. I think maybe the rain might have helped them. Um, but that is the number one thing is take try, try to take Kyle Pitts away as much as you can. Make Trash have to go to some of his other retarget, targets and some guys that are new there uh, in the receiving game. 
and, and obviously force some turnovers. You got to uh, get Florida off the field uh, and, and put your offense in a position to score. And then I think for that side of the ball, really try to still, I think, pick on some of the weak links in, in Florida secondary, whether that's, you know, uh, guys that they're rotating at star, which is their nickel spot. They still haven't really settled in on a guy there yet. Uh, Florida's safety play. Uh, uh, it just has not been up to par, even though they got a lot of veteran guys back there. So that might be an area where I think that, you know, they try to attack the field with Smith uh, and, and Colin Hill. And, and that's it right there. I think those two having a combo, you know, maybe they have to have a better game than Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts do. Um, I think if that happens, that'll certainly help things uh, for them to get the upset. Um, and then, you know, for Florida, uh, you know, if they just make improvements uh, defensively, you know, they feel like they can go out in this game and have a better performance. But I do think that Hill is going to present a challenge for them just because Mike Bobo knows what he has in his quarterback. And the other thing here, too, uh, I think to mention for USC is is just that, you know, Bobo has some familiarity with Todd Grantham, being that they work together at Georgia. So I think he knows his tendencies. He maybe knows what he's going to try and do as far as an adjustment standpoint um, and just how to attack him. And if you know, Florida still hasn't made some improvements, uh, at, you know, obviously up front and in the secondary. That's really where I think South Carolina can have success. Man, that, that's a really good point, Zach, and one that I really don't think Chris has been talking about around here much at all. And but both sides probably, you know, Bobo knows Grantham, but Grantham, I'm sure, knows uh, Bobo's tendencies as well. So maybe which, which side kind of goes against you know, tendencies a little bit, goes against the grain. Maybe one has something for the other. I mean, that'll be an interesting game within a game, little chess match there to watch. Uh, Zach, awesome stuff as always. If you're a Carolina fan listening, watching, go to GatorsTerritory.com. That is the Florida Rivals site um, for the Florida perspective on this South Carolina-Florida matchup. Uh, dude, really good stuff. We appreciate the time, man, and enjoy the game on Saturday, okay? Yeah, and, and, and apologies for this uh, big dog I got here in the back making noise. <laughs> um, but, no, it's uh, it was fun talking to you guys. It's uh, going to be fun to be back in the swamp on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. I, I didn't go to Ole Miss. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's nice to have football back, man. It's just uh, we, we don't take it for granted, you know. Yeah, no doubt, man. Awesome stuff. Uh, y'all enjoyed it. Okay, Zach, thanks, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Take care, fellas. And we're back. Wow, we just lost the stream there for a second, I think. Um, can you hear me, Chris? Yep, I got you. Okay. Uh, hopefully everybody's still on here. But, dude, that 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 was really good stuff. Um, yep. And brought some some different perspectives, told us some stuff. And uh, the, I'll tell you how you know it was a great interview is that because, fan, dude, fans, and I, and I love it. I love this about how passionate people are about college football. Most of the time when you have the opposing media person on, some fans are, dude, they, they're, like, ruthless almost. But when we have people talking about that it was a great interview from Graham, Carolina Titans saying it's a great interview, that's how I know our guy brought some information. So that, that was – I learned something from that, which I think is always a, a really good sign. And, and dude, has, has has anybody been talking about the chess match between <laughs> no. Mike Bobo and Todd Grantham? No, and, and you know, <clears throat> actually, right before the show, I had looked at that 
because that's with Mike Bobo on the staff, right? This is going to be a guy who has faced other people in the SEC. Muschamp's obviously faced a lot of people in the SEC because these are SEC veterans. Mike Bobo spent, you know, many years at Georgia. He spent from 07 to 2014, you know, as the offensive coordinator at Georgia. So there's a lot of carryover with guys within the league. And so I actually thought to myself before the show, I wonder if Bobo and Grantham have ever faced off. But there was a period where Grantham was in the NFL with the Browns and then the Cowboys. And then they had the carryover coaching together at Georgia. And then Grantham went to Louisville, I believe, in 14. And Bobo was only at Georgia for that 2014 season before he moved on to Colorado State. So they actually, I don't think, have ever coached against each other unless it's in practice, right, at Georgia. And so there is a lot of familiarity, I think, three years, four years together at Georgia under Mark Rick. And so that is something that it's something I thought about and planned on maybe doing a piece about. And then I said, wait a minute, they never coached against each other. So we don't know what each has done. You know, Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp coached against each other a few times. You know, when Bobo was at Georgia, Muschamp was at Florida. Um, and that's something we wrote about when Bobo got the job here. But, yeah, the, the storyline, it, it almost lends even more, like, intrigue to it because they know each other pretty well, but they haven't actually done it on a field during an actual game on opposite sides. So pretty – Pretty interesting stuff there. Yeah, which I think um, that that is the intrigue is that they have not faced each other. But I, I mean, they, if you're man, if you're a coach, if you coach with a guy, really at any level, but certainly at the SEC level where these guys are spending, I mean, Lord knows what, like ten hour days together, um, yeah. going over philosophies, and a, a lot of times I think you probably have. Offensive coaches talking to defensive coaches. Hey, what what bothers you? What um, you know? Because if you're an offensive guy and you're putting together your system, you want to know how a defensive mind thinks, and vice versa. So you got to think these guys that each of them knows how the other thinks. So we'll we'll see. And who goes against their tendencies? And then the other part, man. I hate to keep harping on it, Chris, but it goes back to does South Carolina actually have the weapons to exploit it, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that that's the key. Ultimately, you can play chess all you want, but you got to have the dudes to go get open and make plays. Florida, Florida, according to Zach, the secondary is a question. They have worries there. Now, I do think their their corners are pretty good, I think in my opinion, but we'll see. Can Carolina get Nick Muse matched up in something it likes? Is this the week we see Kevion Mullins play a bigger role? Tight ends and running backs can get lost in the passing game when you're bringing a lot of pressure. So how, how does that sort of play out for, for South Carolina? This, to me, could be the week we see Kevion Mullins get a little bit more involved in South Carolina's passing attack, but – we shall see. Um, yeah, Sha- Jamie Shaw, who has a great basketball YouTube show, asked me if this was my my bed sheet laying behind me. Um, not my bed sheet, although I do have Gamecock Central uh, sheets, so I don't. But anyway, all right, Chris, tell everybody real quick about Affordable Medical USA, our primary top sponsor here on GC Live, and they are the home of the game day chair. 
Yeah, so probably nobody going to Gainesville this weekend. Maybe a few. Maybe you got you found you some tickets somehow. But most of this season, you're going to be at home chilling. You know, your big screen, your AC, all that stuff. Um, take it off the couch or your uncomfortable chair or the floor or standing up or whatever you do. Get yourself in the game day chair. If you haven't heard about the game day chair, it is from Affordable Medical Equipment. That's AffordableMedicalUSA.com. It is the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight technology. And what that means, it is a super comfortable recliner, power pillow, lumbar support, a variety of positions, including the Twilight Zero Gravity position, um, custom positioning with the push of a button, Brisa fabric if you want to upgrade to that. That's what they use in Gulfstream Jets. So luxury, comfort, check out the game day chair. Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight on AffordableMedicalUSA.com. If you are watching this on YouTube, go down to the description below the video. You can find the link there or our GC Live story module on GamecockCentral.com. We got links there. So we appreciate those guys making this show happen. And if you want to maximize your comfort on game day, check out the game day chair from Affordable Medical USA. Yep, they make the show daily show here possible. So definitely appreciate their support. Chris, uh, as we sort of close it out here, what be, be thinking? What, what's maybe your other biggest takeaway from Zach? I would say, um, other other than what we've already talked about, would be the realization from the Florida side that maybe the South Carolina defense did as well as anybody at sort of slowing down their attack last year. Now, Florida ended up scoring at what 37, 38 points last yeah, 30, year. So. So, you know, they, they scored, and, and obviously this is a game where South Carolina is an over-two-touchdown underdog. So, according to Vegas, the matchup does not go their way. But, I mean, this is a game that South Carolina, if you look back, I think um, I think three years ago, the offense never really could get going. It was like 21-7 to or something like that. And the, that was a game that Carolina hung around but was never really in the game. But then – um, no, that that was four years ago, I think. Three years ago, South Carolina won the game. The last two years of this matchup, South Carolina has been in a position to win, actually had a big lead the last time they were in the swamp, and Florida really just ran the football down their throats late in the game and was able to win. Last year, South Carolina comes off the big win at Georgia. I, I thought controlled – maybe three-quarters of the game at Williams-Brice in the rain, but just missed on some really key opportunities, missed some deep balls, had the, had the big sack down um, inside the 10 after running the ball down Florida's throat. Just was a strange, odd game. You had Jamie Robinson picking off Kyle Trask to start the second half. Um, Jamie had a big game. But ultimately, the breaks went Florida's way. So you've seen – these teams match up, Chris, pretty closely, I would say. And, you know, I, I think a game that, at least on paper for this year with South Carolina's question marks, nobody's expecting it to be close. But I, I thought it was interesting that Zach said, basically, you know, the, these guys have defended, schematically have defended Florida really, really well when Muschamp has gone up against Mullen. Yeah, that's a great point that Zach made and good points by you expanding on it there. I, I think another takeaway that, you know, something else I took from Zach is that, you know, this Florida defense, they're a little concerned about it. Now, 
nobody is going to pretend that we think South Carolina's offense is going to be potentially as explosive as Ole Miss was in week one. 600 yards of offense, a good many points, a bunch of big explosive plays. You know, they used two quarterbacks, trick plays. They did all sorts of stuff, Lane Kiffin did. South Carolina is not going to look the same, nor do they have, you know, will Luke Doty play some at quarterback even? Maybe so. I don't know. Uh, But with Colin Hill in the game, they don't have that mobile option, so it's going to look a lot different. Um, But he does feel like there are some holes in this Florida defense that they're, you know, where they can be concerned. So I think there is an opportunity for South Carolina. But for me, the question is, is, you know, is that offense that we saw against Tennessee in the second half and the first drive, you know, is that as good as it's going to get? Or is that sort of where South Carolina is going to fall every game? Or can they take another step? Can they be better as they were in the second half? They're better running the football against Tennessee. They push the ball downfield more. The offensive line played better. They made fewer mistakes. Can they look like that second-half team against Tennessee? Can they carry it over to Florida? And then can they do it for the entire game? Um, South Carolina played Florida the past two years before the offense fell off a cliff. You know, They went down there in Gainesville. They are pretty dominant for a while in offense. Then they fell apart offensively and defensively in that game in the Swamp two years ago. Last year – the offense, they did put up 17 second-half points, but they just didn't do enough. Florida did some things offensively. Obviously, we know about the calls that didn't go South Carolina's way in that game. Everything just sort of snowballed on them. So can they, A, take advantage of maybe any weaknesses that Florida has, and, B, can they do it consistently throughout the, the entire game this time this year? Yep, so it'll be fun to see. Again, as a noon kickoff, South Carolina, Florida, this Saturday – I want to remind everybody, if you're still looking for somewhere to watch the game, go check out Market on Main. That is Main Street, Columbia, South Carolina. And um, I will be there tomorrow for lunch from 1 to 2 with Colin Taylor hanging out. Come say hello. And um, excellent place. They got a 23-foot LED outdoor screen and a, a brunch going on as well. So if you want to watch the game on the big screen, go to Market on Main. And uh, actually, if you go to Gamecock Central, you can reserve your ticket. Uh, it's just $25. That gets you a free drink as well. That does not include the food this week, but will get you a spot, basically because those spots are limited and so many people want to watch the game outside. You do have to have a ticket to reserve your spot and take up that seat for, what, like three and a half, four hours, basically. Sit there. I mean, you got brunch, booze, football, the three things that people in Columbia pretty much love the most. So go check out Market on Main. Um, this, will, will this be the last time we, uh, we we hear from you, Chris, this week? It might be. It might be. You never know what we're going to pop up with a with a surprise. You know, it's possible. Maybe, maybe, might- we, maybe we can hop on here for a moment Saturday morning, a little final take on the game. But if not, man, I mean, are, are you going – you think you think Carolina D line versus Florida O line, as far as what that means for the game. Obviously, it comes down to Trask and Pitts and all those things, but it's sort of like in order to not have Trask and Pitts and Tony, who's had a really good game last week as well, and they get him involved in the running game as well. It's sort of indirectly you sort of have to walk it back, I think, and yeah. go. Carolina's front versus their offensive line 
And then the, I would even – dude, I'll throw the whole front seven in there. The linebackers not having Sherrod Green. There's going to be a lot on Damani Staley. Is Izzy Mukwamu healthy? All big questions. But then if you really dial it down, are, are you going defensive front for Carolina versus a now more experienced offensive line for Florida as your biggest key? Yeah, that's the biggest positional – battle in my opinion to watch now South Carolina's got to go down there and score but here's why the D-line is my biggest key or that front seven I'll agree with you is because I think the the number one thing in terms of like a path to victory a path to an upset for Carolina's turnover margin I think it's I think they've got to come away not just positive in that category but they need to be plus two plus three tall order but they've got to take care of the football and they've got to get the ball off of Florida um, to have a, a shot at this one you know I look at Last year, Carolina's big upset against Georgia, a team that was on most days a better football team than them. That day they were not, but most times Georgia was a a more talented and a better football team. What was the difference? Georgia turned it over four times, including a pick six to Carolina's zero. So Carolina was plus four with one of those being a pick six. The game still went to overtime and Carolina won by three. You know, so – are there some things to feel better about this year for South Carolina? Maybe even some things to feel worse about? Yes. Uh, but I think that's their path to an upset. They've got to get a positive in the turnover margin, and they're not going to accomplish that without affecting Kyle Trask up front and not letting Florida and Dan Mullen get to that running game. No doubt. He is Chris Clark. I'm Wes Mitchell. If you are watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. Hit the little bell to turn on your notifications. If you're listening on the podcast, please subscribe and uh, leave us a five-star review as well. We'll be back tomorrow again live from Market on Main from 1 to 2. For Chris, I'm Wes. Appreciate everybody that joined us live and everybody listening now on the podcast as well. We will see you on Friday. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one-seed, It's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 